0: Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. So yeah, like I said, I, uh, my wife and I are heading to the mission field. I was on staff at our church. I'm from First Baptist Church in New Philly, Ohio. Little town in Northeast Ohio. Go Browns, unfortunately. Um, love the Browns, I do. I mean, it, here's the thing. I know that, listen, I know that you Kansas City guys are like super cocky now, that your football team is good, but you've been bad for a long time, okay? And so I identify with that. And so someday, I hope, it will be good too you know that's always that's that's the hope that we have in sports is someday someday it's it's like the royals you know it's like the indians and the royals are kindred spirits like you go to the world series finally in 50 years and then you're bad for another 50 it's like so you're not competing every year you're just like waiting for that one and hoping that you're alive during it and uh so yeah, I'm from Northeast Ohio, from New Philly, Ohio, with Pastor Jeff Bartell, if you know that. Um, I'm 29, if that matters to you. Um, but the reason I say that is because I want to say that uh, between my feeling called to the mission field and actually being sent is, is a significant Time, like I felt a desire to be a pastor when I was a teenager. I was only 16 when I really felt like, man, I, I think that's what I want to do with my life. And I didn't become a pastor and on Safedar Church until I was 24. And I know, you know, some of you who are older, you're like, whoa, dude, yeah, that's that's really no, 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 that's eight years. And when you're 16 years old, eight years is 50 percent of your life, and that sounds like forever, right? The younger you are, the longer a year is in your head. And so, there, but there was a significant chunk of time, and, and I felt God calling me to surrender my life to missions when I was 21 years old, and I'm currently 29. That's about eight years, and we're not there yet. And so, what I've noticed over the years is that many men of God, just in my life and other men that I've, that I've seen from afar, have a similar story. You know, God gives them a burden or a desire in their heart to do something for Him, but there's a significant time of preparation. Right between receiving that burden from the Lord and then actually going to do it. And and I want to talk to you guys about that this morning, preparation for the mission. I, I, I think and I pray that most of us in here would be in that stage or considering that stage of preparing for whatever it is that God would have us to do. Right, And I don't think it's a coincidence that we find many men in the Bible that have a similar story. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Joseph in your Old Testament, he was 17 years old right when he had that dream of his family bowing down and, you know, some people argue whether that was arrogant or prideful, whatever. He had a dream, a burden that the Lord gave him, and he didn't see that to fruition until he was 30. You can see that in Genesis 41, verse 46. There's a significant time gap between seeing what God was going to fulfill in his life 13 years later and jail and a lot of other things in between actually seeing it come to fruition. Paul Damascus Road, Acts 8, right? That's when he meets the Lord. That's when he has the scales fall from his eyes. He meets Jesus. He gets saved, we could say. And then he was sent with Barnabas in Acts chapter 13. We'll see that later in the message where, where God says, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I've called them to do. Now, depending on which commentary you read or which history you track, between Acts 8 and Acts 13, there's you know, somewhere like 8 to 10 years in between that time. From when God called Saul... And he finally made the scales fall from his eyes. And he says, you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. And eight to ten years later, before he actually gets sent out with Barnabas to go do it. And so there's this this time, this delay, we might say, from our humanly perspective. There's others as well, but this the pattern is this. God gives a man a burden, a vision for serving the Lord. Then, after an extended amount of time, God sends him to do it. Why? Why is that? Why is this pattern so... Consistent throughout Scripture, and then in many of the, the, the men that we follow, godly men in their lives. Why is that? It's because God uses that time to prepare His servant for the job He has for Him or her. That's why it's kind of, I'm giving you the uh, the punchline before we even get into it. That's why there's this extended amount of time. It's preparation and God uses that time to prepare you for whatever it is he's calling you to do and that's what I want us to see today. Now, don't get me wrong, let me give us a disclaimer before we get into it. A burden does not equal a calling. You've got to understand that. And I know a calling is a really mysterious thing that we don't always fully understand in Scripture. And we're not going to be talking about a calling necessarily today, but I think you'll see the difference. It's, a burden doesn't equal a calling just as a need doesn't necessitate a calling. Seeing, going out into the world and seeing it, there's needs everywhere. Just because you see a need doesn't mean you're called to that need. But I think what you'll see this morning is that I believe, scripturally, a burden, if it's truly from the Lord... It can be foundational or at the very least instrumental to a calling. A burden is very important. We don't need to just throw the baby out with the bathwater when we say a burden doesn't equal a calling. Well, then what is a burden? Because we see burdens all throughout the scripture, right? Perhaps you're in here this morning and, you know, it was about three or four weeks ago we had mission focus and and we're always talking about missions at at a good church like this and in our fellowship. Maybe you feel called to the mission field or, or maybe you just, you think maybe you feel called to vocational ministry someday. I don't know. I, I, like I told you, I was 16 when I felt like that's what I desired to do with my life. After all, God's given us a great commission, and maybe some of us feel like we have a different part in that than other people, right? You guys know, I'm going to throw them on the screen, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. That's where the great commission is. Mark 16, 15 is my favorite because it's shorter and easier to remember. But I like the wording. I like how God says it in Mark 16:15 He says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Love that. Notice the absolutes in there. Go ye into all the world... Preach the gospel to every creature. Now, that's not a Calvinistic gospel, but it's a biblical one. Everyone gets a shot, and it's our job to give them that shot, to hear the gospel and to allow them to decide if they want to be a new creature. Maybe you're wondering for your life, what's next? You know, This is a very young man attitude to say, and I say it knowing that I'm preaching to the choir, and it wasn't that long ago that I was in this stage in my early 20s. Maybe you're thinking, when will my pastor send me, or when's my shot? You know, When will I get to preach, or when's Brandon going to ask me to preach up here at Kaya on a Sunday morning, or when will I lead a ministry, whatever it is? Well, I hope today you can learn what is next for you through the story of a man that we don't always talk about when we're talking about, we probably rarely do. But there's this guy in the Old Testament whose name was Moses, and he's a pretty unique man in history and in Scripture. He's a man with a unique calling. A man that God used to do amazing things. A man who led Israel out of Egypt through many miracles of God. Miracles that God recounts time and time again through thousands of years of history. A man who parted the Red Sea, who led Israel through 40 years in the wilderness. A man who the Bible says pastored the people. He's a man who beheld God's glory. He's a unique man. I want to start by looking at the beginning of Moses' life, if if you want to uh, take a look in Exodus chapter two, not not the like the baby in a basket part, but you know a little bit after that. If you want to go over to Exodus two, we're going to be primarily in Exodus two and then Acts chapter seven. And if you don't know your Bible well, it doesn't make any sense. But you know, just Acts seven, you can put your finger there or mark that, and we'll get over there in a bit. In Exodus chapter two, Exodus two, starting in verse eleven. It says, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, so we're past the baby in a basket part, right? You guys know where we're at? That he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. Now remember, Moses being raised in the king's house, right? In Pharaoh's house. So he goes out and looks on his brethren. He looked on their burdens And he spied an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, there's a lot we could say about that. We won't, but generally speaking, if you're thinking about doing something, you have to look this way, and that way it's probably not a good idea, right? It's like the cartoon thing, like, oh, anyone looking? Okay, so, you know, that's not great. Look, Look at verse 15. Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh, dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So, So, what we see in Moses' life, he goes out, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. Uh, and, and he kills the Egyptian, and then Pharaoh finds out, obviously, and he flees. He, he, he runs away from Egypt, goes to Midian. Now, in Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen, the martyr, before he's stoned, he actually gives an awesome running commentary on the book of Genesis. And so he, he, he summarizes Moses' story, but he also gives us more revelation and insight in the New Testament. So that's why I want to go back and forth between those two. Go, look at Acts chapter 7. It'll be on the screen too, I, I imagine. Verse 22. Acts 7, verse 22. It says, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, well, we didn't see that before. He was 40. It came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. That's interesting. Put that in your back pocket. We're going to need that in a second. Verse 24, and and seeing one of them suffer wrong, so that's the Egyptian beating the the Hebrew, right? He defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Man, that's so interesting. Because what Stephen fills us in here about Moses back then was he didn't just randomly kill an Egyptian because he felt like it. That's what we see. It's so interesting. It actually came into his heart to visit his brethren, although he lived in royalty and riches in Pharaoh's house. Right? He actually had a burden to deliver God's people, Israel, out of the bondage of Egypt. Verse twenty-five. See that he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by His hand would deliver them, but they understood not. He desired. He actually wanted to deliver Israel. Now, when's that on the timeline of? The, I don't know. But what God shows us is that Moses had it in his heart, it came into his heart to visit his brethren. He wanted to fix a wrong. He wanted to right a wrong. He desired to deliver Israel. It was a burden that God gave him when he saw the need. And so the first bullet point I want you to see is that a burden starts with a stirring in your heart from God. Oh, by the way, I think I skipped number one. A burden, a burden from God, right? The first bullet point, a burden starts with a stirring in your heart from God. Seeing the need often translate into a stirring in our hearts. Now, like I said, a need doesn't necessitate a call, but seeing the need is important for us to see the world how God sees it, right? If you've ever been on a short-term mission trip, you understand how that works. Maybe, maybe you need to make a decision to go on a short-term mission trip this year. Maybe you've never been on one. I'll tell you what, if you do, you'll see the need. You'll see how God sees the world. It'll affect how you live. It'll affect how you give. It'll affect how you serve. I can tell you that from experience, Maybe God would stir up your heart with a burden. When God needed resources for the building of the tabernacle, Exodus 35, verse 21, it says, They came, everyone whose heart stirred them up. Everyone whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle. See, when God needed the resources to build a building... Hear this through spiritual ears right now. When God needed resources to build a place where he would dwell on the earth, every man whose heart made him willing gave willingly. Wow, hear that, church. (laughs) There is a need throughout the world. Forget about me. Forget that I'm a missionary. I'm just talking to you as a guy, as a pastor right now. Forget about giving to hungry. There's a need throughout this world to build God's kingdom in a temple on this world spiritually through men and women, right? And there's a need for it. Is God stirring your heart to give to that? A burden is a good thing. After all, it's God who works inside of you to do of his will, right? Philippians 2.13, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit took up residence inside of you. You became the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 3 says that we're all made up of the temple of God through that Holy Spirit. And it is God inside of you that works in you to do and to will of his good pleasure. And so when God stirs us up, now, and and I understand we have to differentiate between emotion and God's conviction. I get that. I get that. But you know the difference if you've been walking with the Lord for a while. You know the difference between just emotional things and God actually convicting you and burdening you for the world. You know the difference. It's a good thing. It may not equal a calling, but like I said, it's foundational. It's foundational because essentially we're all called to do the same thing, Right? We're all called to go and make disciples of men and to reach the world for Christ. So what is my, pl- so that's the will of God. What's the plan of God for my life? Well, it takes walking with him to figure out. I'm sure you guys have seen that in discipleship and just when Brandon teaches. That, that's, that's your job is to figure out through the word of God, your shape and how God would have you to be a part of his bigger will. What's the plan that he has for your life? Well, you figure that out, and often a burden can be instrumental in helping you figure that out. That's how I first desired to be a pastor. I told you guys that I was 16 years old. Often, I have to tell the same stories everywhere I go, every church. Especially if I don't know the pastor in the church. Of course, they they want, who are you? You know, what's your calling? What's God doing? And a lot of churches, you know, th- this calling to be a pastor is such a weird and mysterious thing. Listen, First Timothy chapter three and verse one says that he that desires the office of a bishop desireth a good work. I just desired it. I was 16. I was like, I want to do that. Now, that doesn't mean you're called to be a pastor, but that's a good start, man. (laughs) That's a good work, the Bible says. God says that's a good thing to desire. That's all I When I was 16, I I desired And you know what I did? I asked my pastors, hey, what do I got to do if I want to be a pastor? Well, you got to be discipled. Okay, I'll do that. And you get discipled. Okay, what do I do now? Well, you need to serve wherever. Okay, I'll serve. Oh, now at our church, we have something called MTT. It's, It's like, it's D2. Okay, do this now. Okay. So that that desire doesn't maybe equal the calling, but it's foundational, right? It's foundational in what God may be calling you to do, okay? Now, you got to understand, a burden is only the beginning of God using you. After all, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, that desiring the work of the uh, office of a bishop desireth a good thing. The next six verses are a list of character qualities that a man must possess if he's going to be ordained a pastor. So it's just the beginning, okay? But it's important. Because When Moses acted on his... See, he had a burden from God. That's what I'm trying to show you this morning. He had a burden from God to deliver his... There was a need, and he felt a burden from God to do something about it. But check this out. When he acted on his burden with zealousness alone, immature, youthful zeal, he did it wrong. That's your next bullet point. A burden acted upon with only a youthful zeal results in destruction. He acted in his flesh. He had sincere intentions, but he was youthful. I know, he is 40, I get it. They lived a lot longer back then. <laughs> he acted with only a youthful maturity and zeal that resulted in destruction and murder and sin. Did you know that your righteous burden, your sincere desire to follow the Lord, if done improperly, can actually result in your sinning? We need to be aware of that. Be aware of how you go about trying to actually do or, or fit the need of the burden that you feel like you've gotten from the Lord. Is it a burden, or are you just emotional? Time will tell. A burden acted upon with only a youthful zeal results in destruction. It results in unnecessary casualties. And the word of God is quick, right? It's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And in the hands of an experienced surgeon, you know what this thing can do? It can heal, it can cut away things that are bad, and it can sew up, It it can do what it's supposed to do, it can give life. But I tell you what, in the hand of of a baby Christian, it can cause a lot of unnecessary casualties. You can hurt a lot of people. And so we need to be more self-aware, Christian, of where we're at. (laughs) Okay? I I know you guys have probably been taught or have seen different stages of spiritual growth, you know, like, like 1 Peter 1 or 2 Peter 1, whichever Peter it is, chapter 1, right? Add to your faith what? Virtue. Good. All right. All right. That's good. Virtue and knowledge. And there's, there's, okay. So don't just say, well, man, I'm at step six, brother. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Calm down. Brotherly kindness is hard, man. And I don't even know if I got that because there's a lot of people I don't really like. But <laughs> here's the thing we got to be self aware of where we're at. And if we're just going to take this book, and we've got good, godly men who are investing the knowledge of God in here, but if knowledge has trumped virtue for you, You'll beat people up with it. You'll cause destruction. You might kill somebody. Not literally, hopefully, but Moses killed somebody. He wasn't ready. He wasn't mature enough to carry out the burden that he had received from the Lord. And that's why, number two, a burden must lead to preparation. Two, preparation for the servant of God. That's kind of the, the main point that I want you to see this morning. A burden must lead to preparation for the servant of God. Moses needed some preparation. He needed some proving before he would be ready to accomplish what God was calling him to do. For Moses, it was being a fugitive from the law on the backside of a desert for 40 years. Now notice, being a fugitive from the law was a result of his own actions. <laughs> so we can't blame God for everything, but God can certainly use our dumb decisions to prove us, right? All things work together for good, brother. You we, we say that to everyone, right? All things work together for good. For those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And when we do dumb things, well, praise the Lord, he can even use those dumb things to prove us and to teach us, right? And so whatever your circumstances, God needs to prepare you. He needs to prepare us for whatever it is he's calling you to do. Uh, Exodus 2.15, we saw this already. Pharaoh uh, sought to slay Moses. Moses fled uh, and dwelt in the land of Midian. Acts 7, verse 29 Then fled Moses at this saying, was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when 40 years were expired, there's our timeline. So 40 years before he killed the Egyptian, 40 years in the wilderness. When 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. So it was 40 years after screwing up big time and then God coming to him in a flame of bush and saying, hey, I've got a job for you. Okay. Have you ever thought about Moses' 40 years in the desert not just as hiding from Pharaoh, but as being proved by God? As God preparing him? Because Moses wasn't ready to deliver Israel yet. We've seen that already just because the, the, he acted out of aggression. He, he killed a man when he was trying to act on his burden. So the first bullet point under preparation is that preparation equips the man for the mission. And that's important. Because, yes, we're all a part of this grand, great commission that God has given us. But there is a specific mission, like Pastor Sam was talking about this morning, that God's calling you to do. You might not know what that is yet. You probably don't know what that is yet. The specific plan of God for your life within that giant will of God, this great commission that we're all called to. But preparation equips the man for the mission. When Moses acted on the burden, what did he do? He showed his youthfulness, his immaturity his lack of experience. He acted out of anger and aggression, and he was destructive, not good things, <laughs> right? He wasn't ready to shepherd over a million people. <laughs> See that? I know sometimes as 20-year-olds and 21-year-olds, we're like, hey, man, I can preach pretty good. Why don't, they, why don't, you, why don't you just let me do this thing? I want you to send me out. Listen, you're not ready. <laughs> can, I, can I just be the guy who's not from here to tell you you're not ready? I don't know you. <laughs> But by evidence of you sitting here, you're just not ready to pastor a church yet, okay? And I don't mean that in a bad way. That's actually okay. Moses wasn't ready to shepherd a million plus people. He had never led anyone before. See that? God sent him to the desert for 40 years to learn how to lead sheep, how to shepherd sheep, how to learn humility, how to learn patience. That's important. That was integral in God's preparing his servant for the duty, the responsibility, the mission he had for him. And if you're a young person this morning who feels burdened today to do something great for God, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Chances are you're not ready. You lack experience. You might lack patience. (laughs) I've been through the patience stage. Okay, okay. For myself, me personally, it wasn't 40 years on the backside of a desert to learn humility and patience, but you know what I did do? Uh, I was a full-time maintenance man at our church, uh, scrubbing toilets (laughs) and vacuuming carpets. And and I love how you guys take care of your church, and and that's an important thing. That's awesome. But you know what? I went from, like, you know, working a secular job to my full-time job is working at the church cleaning. And that sounds really fun, and it was for, like, a couple weeks. And then you're like, oh, I'm just scrubbing toilets. And our church has a lot of toilets. I don't know. I don't know. When you've got a building that you just keep adding on to, it's like we need another bathroom. And it's like, I don't think you needed another bathroom. But there's a, there's a lot of toilets in our, in our building, guys, and I scrubbed them all a lot. And you know what? When you're on your knees scrubbing a toilet, it's hard to be prideful and arrogant. <laughs> I'll tell you that. You, you, need to, you need to participate. Your Bible you needs to participate in cleaning this church. Because it will give you humility. It will give you patience. God used that a lot in my life. There are some things that God needs you to learn, Christian. There are some things that God needs you to experience, but that's okay. Because God, as well as the pastors of this church, don't want you to run out into the world unprepared. Because what you'll do is you'll do damage to yourself, and you'll do damage to other people. More damage than the good that you assume that you're going to do. And that's why desiring the office of a bishop is a good thing, but we don't ordain or send a novice, right? A rookie. There's those balancing principles in Scripture, 1 Timothy 3, 6. Not a novice, These are the character qualities of someone who's ordained to be a bishop or a pastor. Lest, why? Being lifted up with what? Pride. I'm telling you right now, if you want to be a pastor or a missionary or just being a Christian, pride is the biggest thing that will cut you down. I'm telling you, pride lifts up and it ruins things. You can see that with Lucifer. You can see that with what? Just look through the Bible and see what pride does. Do a study on the word pride. because I'm telling you, if you want God to use you, as he's preparing you, he's going to constantly cut your knees out from under you. And he's going to humble you constantly. And if that bugs you, well, you're probably not going to make it through to the end. You're going to do it your own way. First Timothy 5.22, lay hands on no man suddenly, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Listen, there's, there's a proper preparation process. Okay? There were times in my preparation... Of, of getting to where I'm at today and even just becoming a pastor that I felt like God was holding out on me. Can I be honest with you? Have you ever felt that? Don't raise your hand, but have you ever felt that way? Like, God, this, I, this is what I want to do for you and I feel like I'm doing jumping jacks over here and, you know, with Isaiah, you know, send me, I'll go and you're sending everyone else. Why aren't you sending me? And you feel like God's holding out on you. He's dangling the carrot in front of you. I'll, I'll confess there were even times that I felt like my pastors were holding out on me. But can I tell you that's just Pride. It's impatience. It's immaturity. It's youthful zeal. That's all it is. They weren't holding out on me. They were protecting me and they were preparing me. And everything. I'll tell you this, guys. Everything that I learned and experienced at home at my church has prepared me for what I'll experience in the mission field that God's calling me to now. As a pastor at our church, I had to deal with uh, with division and and a and church discipline. Uh, which you never want to have to go to. But any time that there's a work that God is doing amazing things through, there will be division. There will be wolves. It'll happen. It might be someone in this room. I don't know. I pray it isn't. But every time God's doing something great through, through a body or getting ready to, there's, Satan's going to try to attack that thing. And as a young 26-year-old pastor, I had to deal with that, and one of the men who was a part of that was one of my disciples. Do you have a Demas in your history? If you don't know what Demas means... And you probably just don't have as much experience yet because not all of your disciples are going to pan out, unfortunately. But I'm telling you, everything that I've experienced, God is going to use that. He used that to shape me and to mold me, to mold my experiences so that I have that experience for the mission field. Because guess what? When I get to Hungary, there's no church there. Well, there's some churches. We're not the only show in town. There's no church where I'm going. And when all of those young Hungarians who are coming to the Lord and we start a church and something happens, who are they looking to? Me, with my Bible, what do we do? And listen, you can have all the Bible knowledge in the world, but if you haven't experienced leading men, you might act out of zeal and anger instead of patience and humility. See that? Because that's what Moses was doing. That's what Moses did. He wasn't ready for it yet. The burden comes first and then the preparation, because preparation takes time. Moses wasn't ready, but check this out. This is interesting. We don't often think about this. Moses wasn't ready, but neither was Israel. Neither was Israel. What happened? After Moses killed the Egyptian, did the Israelites rally behind them and say, Our Savior, lead us into the promised land. he didn't. Acts chapter 7, verse 26. The next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, you are brethren. He's talking to Hebrews. Why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Who are you, dude? And then he goes even further. This is before Twitter, man. Check This is trolling right here. <laughs> High-level trolling. Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? That's just KJV troll level right there. <laughs> what, what you, who are you, dude? Are you going to kill me like you killed that guy? Come on, man. I'm not doing what you tell me to do. You know, Moses wasn't ready to lead Israel, but Israel wasn't ready for Moses either. Maybe whatever God's calling you to do isn't ready for you yet. Just as much as you aren't ready for it yet. That's why God needed to prepare and to prove and to perfect Moses before sending him. God uses the illustration in scripture of a gold or a silversmith, right? In reference to purifying and to proving his people. Proverbs 17, 3, the fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. Right? So the refiner, as he's refining silver or gold, what's he do? He turns up the heat, he boils the metal, right? Which makes the impurities float to the top. Right. And then he scrapes that off the top. What's that called? Those impurities, the dross, right? He scrapes that dross off the top. And we only know that because we read the Bible. Because who, why would you just know that? (laughs) He scrapes the dross, man. I'm a silversmith. He scrapes that dross off the top and the metal is more pure by definition. Because impurities have been removed. But you know what? Well, look at 1 Peter 1 7 really quick, because that, that, that principle is throughout Scripture. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ. talks about this constant trying of our faith that's not just, you know, seeing how, how are you going to handle yourself. No, no, no. It's bringing stuff up in you, impurities, to the top that, guess what? You didn't even know were there. We all know about our blaring impurities, right? The sin that doth so easily beset us. We know about that one. But what about when other impurities float to the top and you're like, oh, man, I didn't even know I was that carnal, (laughs) right? I tell you what, man, when you're going through that, when God turns up the heat in your life, that doesn't feel good, right? Storms, tribulations, things in your life that you go through that turns up the heat, it doesn't feel good. And you know what else? Impurities floating to the top doesn't feel good either because you knew about some of them and you didn't know about others, And those float to the top, and what you get to decide is if you're going to let God scrape that dross off or if you're just going to sit there and be angry about it and just be like, well, that's just how I am. People can get, okay. (laughs) Well, God wants us to be conformed to his image. And here's the thing. As you let God do this process over and over again in your life, turns up the heat, impurities float to the top. He scrapes the dross off over and over again. Guess what? Every time he looks into that refining pot, he can see his image a little more clearer. And that's what we want. We want him to look into our lives and see himself a little more clear each time, and that's why we let him refine us. It doesn't feel good, but it will result in a more pure lump of gold, and you're much more precious than a lump of gold to God. So will you let God purify you, or are you scared of that? Because we need to be like David in Psalm 139, right, when he says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Man, if you don't know God as a loving Father, like Pastor Sam talked about this morning, you're not as open to that. Because you don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want to be ashamed. You don't want people to think less of you. And so we're like, well, you know, God, you know, you know I want to conform to your image, but, you know, like, I, I don't, don't, don't search too deep. <laughs> don't go in that door. Don't go in that room. I know about I'm dealing with it. Listen, if we're just open and honest and truly humble and sincere, we'll ask God, search me, God. And the things that I don't see the carnalities that I don't see that are hindering me from being the person you need me to be to do whatever it is you're calling me to do, will you bring those to the service and scrape those off and show me what I need to do to be more like you? The refining process serves two purposes. It prepares the man of God. I think that's obvious. But here's the other thing that you might not know uh, unless you're a pastor or a leader. Preparation actually filters out the phonies. It filters out the phonies. You know, many Christians have a burden. Many Christians at the beginning are are zealous, they want to serve the Lord, that's great, but when they find out that it's going to take time and work to become the person God needs them to be before they can go do it, they flake out. Sometimes they don't just leave silently either. They cause division along the way, letting everyone know how much they think that they're ready for this. They prove themselves to be posers, to be phonies. But listen, man, and this is what is so good to me. Listen, I grew up in small town Ohio, but like high school sports were big. Like, high school football in Ohio is a big deal, and even high school basketball is a big deal. I played basketball, and I, you know, I I was fine. I was fine. I was okay. You know, I I was a scrapper. Get the rebounds, make the free throws, you'll get playing time, that kind of a guy. But but listen, man, I didn't have the right name to get all the playing time. You you know how that works? I don't know if in the big city if it's the same coach's kid or the right name in the community and that kind of a thing. What I love about God's refining process, his preparation process, is it doesn't play favorites, because I don't know about you, but I've never been the favorite. I've never been the favorite. God's refining process is actually quite equal. There's amazing parity because those who will stick it out and obey and push through will make it to the other side. Those who are lazy and prideful and arrogant won't. It's that simple. It's you get to decide. Actually, the people who don't make it to the other side—you know what they'll do—the the guys who are like, "Yeah, I'm not. I'm not into this. I, I, I don't need to wait. I'm ready." I I can do this. They'll move to other churches who don't require faithfulness. They'll find other churches that will hire them because they only need a resume, not refinement. And they just want a job. They just want a vocation. They'll find whatever they think in the scripture will prove their side of the story. (laughs) But they'll never, I'm telling you guys, they'll never accomplish anything great for God. They might get a job, they might look like they've got it going on, but they'll never accomplish anything great for God because they're only going to leave a wake of destruction and casualties. That's how it works. When Moses wasn't ready for what God was calling him to do, but he tried to do it in his flesh, and his own power, he killed someone. And that's us. We have to be patient and wait on the Lord to prepare us. I'm not waiting on my pastor to realize how great I am. I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord to prepare me for what it is that he's calling me to do. There's this thing in the scripture, this principle, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. I want to go there briefly. 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 20, it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work." Now, in this context, if you study out this chapter, vessels of dishonor, they're not lost people. They're not lost people. They're in the house. (laughs) They're in the house with the vessels of honor. All of these vessels are in the house, but some vessels, a vessel is just a container, okay? Some are ornate golden chalices in the hand of the king, right? And some are wooden pots or clay pots that are used to wash clothes or to dispose of waste, They're all in the house, and they all even serve a purpose. Which one do you want to do, (laughs) right? You want to be a a wooden bowl that has dirty clothes washed in you, or do you want to be a golden chalice that the king sips from? Vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor. You want to do something great for God, allow him to prove and prepare you and purge out the impurities to make you a vessel of honor that is meet for the master's use. And so what I want to tell you, and and for me, when I finally realized this, it was freeing. It might sound harsh, but it's actually incredibly freeing. Listen, everyone who's going to serve God in whatever capacity has a different timeline for God preparing them. Some people might take 40 years on the backside of a desert. Others, it might take six years, eight years, ten years. I don't know. But you know what? I'm not called to do what Moses did. (laughs) So it took him a little bit longer to get ready for it. You're not called to do what I'm doing. We have different timelines. God has different timelines for us. And guess what? We actually can manipulate the timeline. If we do dumb things, it will take longer. That's what I'm saying. You make dumb decisions and you don't obey God, it will take longer. You can expedite the process by just obeying God and obeying your authorities. I still don't know how long it'll take you because in your head, I know I did this, man. In your head, you're thinking, okay, I I did discipleship. I got to finish D2. And then if I really hurry, four years LFBI, that means you know, when I'm 26, listen, forget the math. Obey what God's telling you to do right now because whatever he's calling you to do, he needs you to be prepared to be the vessel that he's going to use to do it. And that's a different vessel. You're a different person and you have a different calling than the person beside you. And so here's the thing, and, and maybe ladies, you don't do this, but I know as guys, especially when you're growing up in a big church and there's lots of guys going down that process, you start looking at each other and being like, you know, who's, you know, I, I'm better than him. I, I can preach better than him. And, and uh, you know, if I really, you know, hang out with the pastor a lot, maybe he'll, you know, pick me more. And li- listen, man, listen, that's fleshly. <laughs> That's carnal. If we can get the perspective that God needs to prepare me to do what it is He's calling me to do, that's freeing. Because you won't compare yourself with other people. You won't compare yourself with how long it's taken. Listen, it took me eight years after discipleship to get to to, to finishing LFBI, and part of it was circumstantial, just because LFBI hadn't existed yet. And when I graduated high school, wanted to be a pastor. Jeff Bartell just got into our church, and there was nothing happening because we were without a pastor for a year. That's not my fault. And so I used to get really hung up about it. God, this ain't my fault. Why do I have to wait so long? And you know what I realized in hindsight? Because it's how long God needed to prepare me. Yeah. That's the simple answer. It doesn't matter how long it takes. There are guys at our church that are going to be able to go through that process in five years instead of eight. Do I get hung up about that? No, I'm excited for them. doesn't mean they're going to be a pastor and go out. God's still got to prepare them to do what he's calling them to do. So I just want to say as young people, let's stop comparing ourselves with each other <laughs> and just get the perspective of God's got to shape me to be who he needs me to be. And if you make it through to the end without flaming out, during that preparation process, he'll send you, number three. This will be a a fairly quick one. Servant sent by God. So you've got the burden from God, you've got the, the, the preparation for the servant of God, and then you've got the servant being sent by God. And so with Moses, after 40 years of preparation in the wilderness, being a shepherd, God visits Moses in the burning bush, and guess what? He finds a completely different man. So the next thing we see is the transformation of God's servant. The transformation of God's servant. I want to do this quickly, but go to Exodus 3 if you've got your Bibles. It'll be up here too. I want to read a chunk of 10 verses because I want us to actually see Moses' difference. I'm going to read it fast, so you've got to listen fast, okay? Exodus 3 verse 1. This is after the 40 years in the wilderness. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. Good start, by the way. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and all the sites. Verse (laughs) 9. Now therefore, behold the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me, and I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Check it. Who am I? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? You see that transformation? Now, I know, I know. If you read through the dialogue, Moses lacked faith. I get it. He kind of hacks God off because he won't just do it. I get it. But you see the transformation? The zealous, angsty, teenage Moses... (laughs) Who's just ready to get in there? Listen, he didn't have the full picture from God. He just had a burden and a desire, and he jumped on that. It's not until now that he has the full vision from God on what he wants him to do. Back then, he was ready to just run out and do it without all the plans. And now, when God gives him the plans and he says, I want you to do it, he says, Whoa, whoa, you got the wrong guy. Who am I? That's exactly right, Moses. (laughs) You're a nobody, you're a shepherd. You're humble, you're patient, and now God can use you. You're meek, Numbers 12.3 tells us he's the meekest man, right? Very meek, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now you're ready. See, it's often when we finally feel that we're not adequate to do what God has called us to do, that we're finally ready to be used by God. (laughs) And listen, that doesn't mean that, you know, I've gotten you know this from others. Well, I don't feel ready at all. That must mean I'm ready. No, no, no. It it doesn't mean you're... (laughs) It doesn't mean that you're untrained. Therefore, you. it means that God has refined your pride. You aren't arrogantly impatient anymore. It means you've reached this level of self-awareness and humility that says, wow, I can't do this. This is too big for me. Lord, you, you should pick someone else because surely I can't do this. Why are you picking me? That's the heart and the attitude of someone God can use. Someone that God can send, right? That's the transformation God needs to work in us if he's going to use us, right? Notice that transformation of pre-desert Moses to post-desert Moses. And, you know, before the desert, whenever he, he killed the Egyptian, he was driven by anger and emotion. And now, afterward, when he goes and actually does what God wants him to do, he's prepared, he's driven by faith in what God's called him to do. Before he was empowered by the flesh, literally using his flesh to, and his strength in his flesh to kill the Egyptian. Now he's empowered by God. Right? He's got the rod of God in his hand that God's going to use to do it, not his own strength. Before he was aggressive and now he's meek. Moses is a changed man and God can use this vessel now. Why did he have to be 80 years old? Why did it take him 40 years? Because nobody else in the history of the earth is going to do what Moses had to do. <laughs> and whoever Moses was back then, God needed him to be someone else. And if it would have taken 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 100 years in the wilderness, it doesn't matter. We have to let God prepare us to be the men and women he needs us to be to do whatever it is that he's calling us to do. God prepared Moses to be who he needed him to be. He gave him the burden first to drive him to prepare. The burden didn't mean he was ready. The burden was just a little glimpse of what God had for him, just a little glimpse of the need that there is. And that burden drove him to the wilderness and... Interesting circumstance. But when God gives you that burden, whether it's for the mission field, whatever it is, that doesn't mean you're ready right now. It means let that drive you to prepare, right? Because a call to missions or a call to ministry is a call to preparation. We've all heard that before. I wonder if Moses had never felt a burden to deliver Israel if he ever would have finally submitted to being used by God. I don't know. We must trust that God will prepare us. And then the last point here. Uh, he'll send us in his timing, the perfection of God's timing, the transformation of God's servant and the perfection of God's timing. Understanding this principle, it'll keep you from being frustrated at God. It'll keep you from being frustrated at your pastors, right? Listen, if you feel like your pastors are holding you back, and I, I'm not saying everyone in this room is feeling that way. I'm just saying I felt that way, so someone is probably feeling that way. Can I just tell you and be frank with you? They're not holding you back. You're holding you back. <laughs> you are. Because you're not ready and God is still proving you. And if you just trust that if God has called you, he will send you in his timing. You don't have to worry about other guys getting their shot or why you're not getting your shot. Or, well, hey, man, the rapture could happen any day. We got to get out there. Yeah, guess what? If the Lord comes back while you're preparing, you were obeying. (laughs) And you're right where God wanted you to be. So forget about that, man. Forget about it. Just do what God's calling you to do. He will send you under the authority of the local church, by the way, when he's ready and when you're ready. Remember how the people weren't ready to have Moses lead them? Go back to Acts 7. Check this out. Verse 35. I love this. This Moses whom they refused, right, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out. After he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. When it was God's timing, he sent him. So what burden has God given you? Will you let him prepare you and prove you and trust his timing to send you? Because if you will, you'll be more effective and you'll be less destructive. If you don't, you'll end up being just another phony. Or you'll fizzle out along the way. Or maybe worse, you'll actually cause destruction and division. And never get to fully enjoy living out the calling that God's placed in your heart. But if you can trust, him, listen, I the, I'm going to end here. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 is a special verse to me. I had this one printed and, and hanging above my, my door in my apartment for many years. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. If you've ever felt like, man, maybe I just misheard the calling. I thought God was calling me to do this, but man, you know, I, I don't know. Life is pretty rough. Circumstances are tough. I'm going through storms. Maybe I just misheard the calling. Listen, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And if you feel a burden or a calling from God, whatever that may be, just let him do it. <laughs> let him do it. You can't do it in your power anyway. I know we know that in our, in our mind, in our intellect, but why in practice do we then try to do it? Right? It's like when we get saved and we know there's nothing we can do to get saved. It's by faith alone. But then when we get saved, we try to, like, do everything else in our own power. Right? We need to practically just let him do it and submit to him and let him obey. Let me just remind you, guys, it's, it's, it's God who does the sending. And when people get frustrated with their pastors, I've seen it personally at our church, in my life. When they get frustrated with their pastors and they leave a church to find someone else who will hire them or send them out or whatever, that's not God-ordained. Splitting a church to get your own flock is not ordained of God. It's not how he works. So don't be an Absalom. Be a David. When when David didn't agree with the guy who was in authority over him, what did he do? He submitted. Because guess what? God's powerful enough regardless of what your authority does. When Absalom didn't like how David, his father, was ruling, he said, I'll just do it myself. (laughs) Don't be an Absalom. Don't cause division. Don't, don't raise up your own flock. God needs he, humble and meek servants of God to follow him and to serve him. And Acts, I'm not going to go there, but Acts 13, 1 through 4, is where how we see how God separates. Right? He said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, to the work whereunto I've called them. That's how God sends. God says, separate me. The Holy Spirit does this through the local church. It's men and women who are already serving in some capacity. They were humble. They were prepared. So you have a burden from the Lord. Awesome. What will you do next? Will you submit to the Bible and your pastors and your church as God prepares you to be the servant he needs you to be? Because if you'll be patient and allow God to purify you, you can be a vessel of honor that's meet for the master's use. Whatever he's calling you to do, he can prepare you for that. So we just need to let him prepare us to be those vessels let's pray Father thank you so much once again for this opportunity and to just be able to come and speak to these guys it's a wonderful privilege I just pray God that you each of us took whatever we needed to hear from your word and from your servant Moses and I pray Lord that you would just use that in us God as we seek to be conformed to your image to be the vessel you need us to be to whatever it is you're calling us to do I love you it's in your name I pray Amen We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.